Welcome to Maximize Your Influence, your resource for the top persuasion, influence, and negotiation techniques that will help you maximize your success in life and business. And now, here are your hosts, Kurt Mortensen and Steve Olson. Welcome to episode 144 of Maximize Your Influence. I'm Steve Olson and I have Kurt Mortensen here with me. We're both on the road traveling out uh, persuading with power. So we're going to do an episode for you here today. Happy to be back. Kurt, how's it going? Where are you at these days? Newport Beach, then off to Atlanta, then Chicago, and then someplace else. It's kind of a blur. <laughs> but it's been good. Going around the country, everyone's heating up with the summertime, meeting some good people, eating some fun food. Where are you at these days? I'm in San Diego right now. Oh, beautiful San Diego. The place of the weather tax, right? The weather tax. Yeah, I'm not that far from you. Yeah, just down here working away and going to go take the kids and the family and everybody to Lake Mead next week. Uh hot. How is the water level Lake Mead? It's always been so low the last couple of it's years. It's really low. <laughs> oh, there you go. Yep. Hasn't filled up. The drought's on the west coast. Lake Mead's a wonderful lake. It's the uh, middle of the desert, very warm, but uh, good wakeboarding. Yep, yep. It'll be fun. It's going to be hot, but we're excited for it. But in the meantime, we have an awesome show for you. We've got lots of feedback about the influencing without authority or position topic that we did on the show last week. Uh, this is something that's definitely on people's minds, and it's something that you're getting asked to train corporations about continually, correct? Correct. That's the big one because of the worldwide organizations, different cultures, flatter organizations. I mean, you get on teams where you have no authority. Everyone's pretty much equal. How do you get things done? How do you get a manager in another department to do things? How do you get the CEO or vice president to do what you want them to do? Same potatoes, but we got to adjust the gravy a little bit here because... You have no authority, you have no position, you've got to change things up a bit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So there's a lot of components to this, and we have some info that we had uh, recorded for some training in the past that we think says this uh, better than anything. We're going to cut to that in just a second here. But before that, we've got the article of the week, and we, that means you need to queue up Steve Urkel. Oh, Urkel, do your thing. <laughs> I think I mentioned before, by the way, he's been on some car commercials lately. Let you know so that. So he's, he's making a comeback. He's making we'll a have comeback. to get a new recording from him. Say, look, we need a recording. We <laughs> are the cause of the comeback. <laughs> That's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> we are the cause, so I think we need a royalty or a new sound or something. That was a thing of beauty. I sat there and watched you rationalize your way through that. Now, all of a sudden, <laughs> you're the cause of Steve Urkel's comeback. There we go. i got to get something out of this. Yeah, something. I did hear <laughs> that little plug for the new, the new sound effect. Got to put that in there, you know. Got to <laughs> eventually get my way on that one. Yes, your subversive ways are now documented on the podcast. <laughs> this is it, Kurt, beginning the long process of changing the sound effect. So right. I'll take it while I can get it. But we've got a great article here from Harvard Business Review, article entitled, How to See Through These Three Hardball Negotiation Tactics. This is by Deepak Malhotra over at the Harvard Business Review. And... I tell you, I've had these tactics used on me. I think I may have even used some of them before. I'm a little ashamed, but... Uh, dirty deeds. Dirty. Tell us. Yes. So, tactic number one. You've been told this one before. When your opponent in the negotiation says, well, we will never, right? They give you the ultimatum. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think that 
the author's response here is pretty good. He says that his response to an ultimatum, regardless of the type of the negotiation or how the ultimatum was delivered, is usually quite simple. I just completely ignore it. <laughs> yeah, that works well. You just let him know and say, okay, well, anyway, let's move on. So it's like a little temper tantrum. You just ignore it and move on. And another thing I noticed with that's interesting, when they're making it up, there's a discrepancy between what they're doing with their their body and what they say. For example, they say, that's our final offer. I'm not going to do it. We're going to never. And then they slap the table. <laughs> you know, whoa, whoa, something's up. If it's congruent and they're slamming the table and everything's, it could be real, but most of the time it's rarely congruent when they're doing that technique. Yeah, like we've said on the show before, lying takes up a lot of mental bandwidth. And mm -hmm. so if you really were genuinely angry, giving a real ultimatum, your hands just would slam on that table no matter what at the same time. But your brain can't quite keep up when it's making all of this stuff up. So, so true. And, and a good point that I think that he makes here is that he doesn't ask people to repeat or to clarify ultimatums because most of the time they're not really a deal breaker. Some, they're, you know, they're emotional. They want to control. Uh, they're trying to gain some kind of advantage here. And so if they don't really mean it, then you're giving them an opportunity to back off of it later gracefully. But if you say, well, let's be clear, you're telling me that you will never, never. And now they got to stay on that, right? They mm -hmm. can't back off from that later. So if you just ignore it, then it's easier for everybody to just pretend like it never happened. Yeah. yeah don't back them into a corner or make them reaffirm what they just said, because it'll be more difficult to change that around later. Uh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right. Tactic number two. I've had this one happen. I know you have. You're done. You're almost ready to sign on the dotted line. And they say, oh, you know what? Just one more thing. Oh, yeah. Just one minor detail here. The nibble. Yeah. Yeah. It's frustrating, right? It, because you think you have a deal and then they throw something in that makes you say, I would not have agreed to these terms if I knew this was part of the deal. Right? <laughs> <laughs> or just nibble back. Okay. I'll do this. You do this. If it works, it's still a win-win. It will work out well for you, but don't just let them nibble because they'll take everything. Yeah, yeah. And the author goes on to say something to that effect, that if it's truly important to them, he wants to work with them and try to accommodate that. But at this point, you want to throw in a nibble, you're going to get nibbled back, right? Mm -hmm. You're not just going to concede on that thing. They've got to give something up. So that's, that's how you handle the just one more thing. I really liked what he said about tactic number three. Tactic number three is you negotiate an agreement, everything's good, and Kurt, this one just makes you just go crazy. They say, great, let me go double check this with my boss now. <laughs> <laughs> Higher authority. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So the author says that one big, big piece of advice that he gives to people is to negotiate process before substance. Mm -hmm. So, hey, here's how we're going to do this. Here's who's involved. Here's what it's going to be like. And that needs to be agreed upon in advance. And that way, you're not going to negotiate substance only to have process come in and sabotage all of your hard work after the fact. What do you think about that? Such a great question in the beginning is, okay, who's part of the decision-making process? And you can find out ahead of time what's going on, who they need to talk to. And most of the time, it's going to say, well, I'm involved. I make the whole decision. You clarify that. So if that does come up, you can say, well, wait a minute, you said you were involved in the decision. You can pin them down a little bit because, you know, I could derail things. That gives them a lot more control after the negotiation, and so you got to be careful of that one. Yep, exactly, exactly. So that is the article for the day, and being a little bit out of sequence for the day, given that we're both on the road, we're going to throw a curveball, and we're going to queue up the Homer. 
Homer, go. Don't, don't, don't. You've got this one. We talked about it a little bit as we were planning for the show, which, like I've said many times, sometimes we do plan the show, listeners. <laughs> or we pretend to plan the show. Yeah, you'll never know which is which. You never know when we're at a good firm 70%. Right. That's right. When we start getting over 70%, we are humming. That's right. So, Kurt, <laughs> this one is a pet peeve of mine, but go ahead. This was a pretty good story. Yeah, so should we name names? Yeah, go ahead. We'd like to do All that. All right, Alamo Rent-A-Car. I've been very loyal to Avis over the years, and the, for some reason this company doesn't like Avis, and there are reasons why, and so they went with Alamo, and uh, this has been my first experience at Alamo in probably seven, eight years. It was like eight rentals in a row, and They've all been pretty much a bad experience, but anyway, this is what happened. I think I was pulling into LAX, I believe, and pulled in, and they approach you to ding your car and give you your final bill, and the gentleman says, well, how was everything? How was your rental? Pretended to care, and I said, well, you, you know, and I started talking about the long lines and the things, and he just walked away. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't care. So he was trained to pretend to care, but was never trained to really care, so the lesson is, if you're going to pretend to care, you're going to have to care, or you're just going to make everything worse. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it would have been better if he didn't ask me, because now I'm more upset because he asked me and didn't care. But that happens a lot with customer service or recordings that you hear, where you just getting these nice little phrases, and deep down you go, no, they don't mean that. They don't care, which makes it worse. Yes, Homer of the day. How many times have you been on hold, right, to have elevator music going on in the background? You're on hold. Your soul is dying inside. <laughs> Sucking the life out of you. And a, and a computerized recording comes on. Thank you for waiting. Your time is important to us. <laughs> yeah. Just sitting there waiting. Oh, it's awful. <laughs> it's like, you could do that maybe the first couple minutes, but after 10 minutes, like, no, my call is not important to you. If it was, you would have answered it. Right, exactly. And there's a commercial going around on Sirius XM radio right now that some people that do live answering services and... <laughs> they they did a little parody on that. We don't give a bleep about your time, right? <laughs> <laughs> thank you for the truth, at least. Yeah, thank you for it. I, I think, Kurt, that it's better to genuinely care, yet not have any power to do something about the problem, than it is to pretend to care. Right? Sometimes <laughs> customers just need somebody to unload on for a little bit, and then everything is fine. But, wow, the, the walk away or the, yeah, your time is important to us, or we care what you think. No, you don't. <laughs> no. It is refreshing to unload on someone sometimes, and they say, yeah, we're lame. <laughs> we're sorry. <laughs> we blew it. Like, thank you. Yeah. It's better than trying to cover it up. <laughs> yep. I had to do one of those yesterday, right? It so happens I didn't think that we blew it, but the customer did. And an emotional customer, me trying to explain to them why we didn't blow it, explain to me how that's going to end well. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and you just got to fall down on your sword and say, you know, I'm sorry. I can see why you why you think this was bad. And it was. And then he was fine after that. No problem at all. Apology is cheap. We've talked about that. It's so simple. I'm sorry. Well, don't do it again. OK. <laughs> <laughs> Even if it's not your fault, it just diffuses everything. Yep. Yep. Goes away. All right. Now that we've thrown Alamo Renicar under the bus, made him the blunder for the week, <laughs> we're going to shift gears a little bit. We're going to move into our. Uh, pre-recorded audio that Kurt did about expectation management. Here we go. Hello, hello, and welcome back as we go through this series on how to maximize your influence when you don't have the power, you don't have the position, you're not an authority, maybe you don't think you have any cards to play, but you do when you really understand the power of influence.
Let's focus on the art and science of expectations. This is a critical aspect of your ability to influence without authority. To influence without that power is to understand human behavior and expectations. Expectations influence reality. Let's talk a little bit on about how this works because this is a science that a lot of people really haven't thought through, that a lot of people don't realize what's going on. So let's talk about this for a second and show you how it works. Now the challenge with expectations is a lot of people get into a persuasion situation. They say, well, you wouldn't be interested, would you? Okay. And they kind of inflect up. We know when you do your inflection goes up that you're not very confident. You probably wouldn't like this or you might shoot this idea down. What people expect to happen a lot of times happens. They do influence reality. It's kind of like a self-fulfilling prophecy. When someone expects you to perform your job or produce a certain results, we tend to fulfill this expectation. And this is something that's very, very powerful. For example, it can be used in a negative way too. If you want to play a joke on a coworker, you get three or four people together and the first person goes up to the coworker and says, hey, are you sick? You look sick. Oh, no, no, I'm fine. And the second coworker, hey, you're kind of pale. You sick? No, I think I'm okay. And by the time the fourth person does it, they say, well, yeah, I'm not feeling well. I'm going home. And that's the power of expectations. And what we need to understand with expectations is we communicate our expectations through our language, through our voice, through our body. And sometimes we don't even realize what expectations we're projecting. Have you ever gone into a store and felt guilty for not buying? Have you ever gone to um, maybe even a timeshare presentation? And some people do, some people don't. It depends on their, their expectations. We project this. Let me give you an example. When I married my wife, she grew up in a family that when you hurt yourself, you laughed. Or you, you laughed at the other person. So I thought it was quite strange. I grated my finger on a cheese grater, blood everywhere, and she starts laughing. And at the time, I thought that was very strange. Now, fast forward, we have kids. And it's interesting to watch like children at a park, they bonk their head, and then they look at their parents, and when the parents give that sad face and that scared face, the child on cue will cry. So one thing that we've implemented, kids running around the house, they bonk their head, they fall over, they look at us, we all burst into laughter. <laughs> okay? I'm not talking about severed limbs, I'm talking about minor bumps and bruises here. So we start laughing, and what do they start doing? They start laughing too, and that's the power of expectations. Even when you look at something like your attitude, or somebody else's attitude. Attitude comes from our expectations, and this is a powerful thing that we don't think about too much. Let me give you some examples. There was a study done at Harvard. What happened is they gave the students all these different rats, and half the students were told they were smart rats, and the other half were told they were dumb rats. And they put them through a maze, and they would time them. They were the same rats. But the fast rats, for some reason, had faster times in the maze than the dumb rats. We also saw somebody with a tire coupon. The expectation of a coupon is when you release it, you save money. Now, this coupon had a printing error on it, and it actually cost people more money to use it, but they had the same response rate because it was a coupon. There's an expectation there. Let me give you another example. Word choice. When somebody is told that they're going to go to a presentation or they're going to meet somebody that is cold, industrious, practical, and determined. And they had them evaluate them afterwards. But then the other group was told that this person is warm, 
industrious, practical, and determined. So the only difference was the first word. So first one was cold, second one was warm, but then the other three words were the same, industrious, practical, and determined, and it made a big difference in how they judged that person. Here's what the studies show. Assembly line workers at a plant were just hired. Half were told, hey, it's simple. It's easy. Just do it that way. And the other half were told it's complex. It's hard. It's going to take you a while to get it. And of course, amazing things happen that the simple people got it real fast. So these are the expectations that you can manage. Even with students, they said, well, you're not very good at math versus you're great at math. Maintain those expectations. In one study, girls were told they would perform poorly on a math test. and the other one, they were told to perform great on the math test. And the results were amazing. Even with school teachers. Now this can be neither good or bad. I think we've all had school teachers that raised our expectations of ourselves and we had school teachers that squashed our expectations of ourselves. Now a study was done in San Francisco. There was two Head Start teachers and they were equal as far as talent and what they did in the classroom. Then they grabbed students who were also tested and were equal in IQ. So these teachers were equal and the students were equal. And they probably don't allow this type of study in them anymore. And the first teacher, they said, hey, you've got pupils that have high potential. Don't stand in their way. Their racers are ready to run. Do what you can. And the other teacher was told, well, we're sorry about your students this year. You can't expect good students every year. Just do the best you can. Be understanding. Okay, same students, same teachers, but that expectation made a huge difference in what those students were able to accomplish. Another study was done with students where they would bring candy into a classroom. This was an elementary school class. Now, when you give an elementary school child a piece of candy with the wrapper, they're going to eat the candy. What's going to happen with the wrapper? Throw it on the floor. And that's what they did. And so they counted the number of wrappers on the floor. And this is something you can use with your children. Then over the next couple weeks, what happened? The teacher would frequently say, you know, this is a neat and tidy class. This is one of the cleanest classes I've had. The principal would come in. Hey, I heard you're the cleanest class in school. The custodian wrote a note on the blackboard. Thank you for being so clean. Three weeks later, they pass out the candy again. And of course, not very many rappers made it on the floor, just based on that expectation. So if you're trying to influence without position or without authority, sometimes that expectation that they're going to do business with you, that expectation that they're going to help you out goes a long way. And a lot of people call this the placebo effect. In fact, does anybody know how often placebos work? About 35 to 50% of the time. Everyone knows what a placebo is, right? Okay, it's a sugar pill. So they do that in medical studies. And when people think they're real, they work quite a bit. Let me give you some of the studies. One study was done with stomach medicine. Now, stomach medicine takes 30 minutes to work, but most people find relief in 12 minutes. People gave out, it was actually, I think it was either Sprite or 7-Up. They gave it to people. They didn't know what it was. Says, okay, this will induce vomiting. And when they believed it, 80% did vomit. And that's the power of the placebo sometimes. I remember I was sitting on the couch, I had this headache, and my wife said, do you want some aspirin? And she went upstairs and got me some aspirin. She was really nice. I took the aspirin, the headache went away. Two hours later, I go upstairs and I find a, a, the bottle she gave me was an, actually, it was a laxative. Okay. <laughs> my headache went away when she gave me the aspirin, but now when I found out it was a laxative, the headache came back and well, other things started to happen, but that's a whole other story. There's the power of a placebo here. Even during the Korean War, they ran out of morphine and they were giving placebos. And what they found 
is when the nurse gave the placebo, the soldiers didn't feel pain. But when the doctor gave a placebo, they did feel pain. The reason why is the nurse didn't know it was a placebo, and the doctor did. We pick up on little mannerisms based on expectations. So if we're expecting them not to do business with us, if we expect to fail, if we expect them to say no, they're picking up on little mannerisms that we need to adjust. So let's talk about some application here. The first one is reputation expectations. Winston Churchill said it the best. He said, I have found that the best way to get another to acquire a virtue is to impute it to him or to give it to him. When you say things like, well, you've always impressed me with your ability to. I've always liked the fact that you've been honest with me. Johann Wolfgang Van Gogh said the best. He says, treat a man as he appears to be and you make him worse, but treat a man as if he already were what he potentially could be and you make him what he should be. Meaning that you just expect them to behave like you want them to behave. Even a police officer would say things to a criminal. I know you have a reputation for being the tough guy who's been in a lot of trouble, but everyone tells me one thing that stands out about you is that you never lie. And that makes a difference. So just the reputation and how you treat them. A good one to implement right now comes from NLP or Neuro Linguistic Programming. It's the presupposition. NLP is Neuro Linguistic Programming, which studies you know, kind of how the brain works, the subconscious mind. And let me give you one of the techniques. It's called the presupposition. Basically, the way you talk and the way you act, you are acting and you're assuming like they've already accepted the offer. Let me give you an example. If I was to sell a car, for example, I'd say, you're really going to love how this car handles in the mountains. Assuming they've already bought it, they're driving in the mountains. Well, when do you want your couch sent? Assuming they've bought the couch. When do you want to start the group meeting? When do you start working on the proposal? Assuming that they're going to accept the proposal. That's what we're talking about in presuppositions. What that means is you're just acting in a certain way that you, they've already accepted it. For example, we know in door-to-door -door sales that just by wiping your feet on the doormat while you're talking to them, wanting to get in, increases the chances they're going to let you in. Handing somebody a pen with the contract or the agreement increases the chances that they're going to autograph it. So your behavior, the way you act, goes a long way. It just drives me nuts. I see it so many times when people say, you wouldn't be interested, would you? I mean, really, what does that say? <laughs> You're telling them that it's not going to happen. Yeah, you won't like this proposal. You probably won't be interested. Are terrible things to do and say. See, the power of suggestion can be extremely effective to engage the emotions. You're acting and the words you're using like it's already a done deal. And you can practice that and say, okay, when we're doing business together or when you're building your business, that type of thing is a presupposition so they can see themselves doing it. Because a lot of people say no because they can't see themselves doing it. And if you can talk in such a way where they can see themselves doing it, it goes a long way. And that's what great persuaders do. When they talk, the person can see it, taste it, touch it, and feel it like it's already happening. That's a presupposition. Another aspect of NLP is called pacing and leading. So this is what it is. You're doing three paces to one lead. So your ratio is three to one. So it's basically three things that are obviously true. That's a pace. For example, I would say most people would love to be financially free and end their money worries forever. Now, do you think most people would accept that as truth? 
It is. So three things that are obviously true, they're saying yes, you're getting them to say yes, then you would lead them, that's something you want them to accept. So you would say something like, well, the answer to your financial problem is providing the right training at the right time by the right person. So pace, 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 lead. So you want to put some three things that are obviously true in your presentation or over the phone that's a no-brainer that they're going to accept as true, then you would lead with something that you want them to accept. Trying to get a date. There we go. <laughs> so what would be three things that you would be obviously true? They, maybe that, hey, you want to go out and have a fun time, go out and have a nice dinner, and be with someone that's a lot of fun. Now, everyone's going to probably say yes to those. Then the lead would be, well, that would be perfect because next Friday I'm going to do this. We're going to this restaurant. We're going to this place, and we're going to have a lot of fun would be what you lead. In network marketing, it would be something like, hey, you want to be financially independent? You want to work at home? You want to be your own boss? Yes, yes, yes. Well, then I've got the right business for you to be able to do that. Or, or if I could show you a business where you could do all three of those things, would you be interested would be something that you would lead them on. Your expectations is critical. And a big piece of this is going to be your mindset. Remember, attitude comes from your expectations. When you go into a situation over the phone, face-to-face, -face, you need to program your brain to expect that they're going to accept your offer, to expect they're going to do business with you, to expect they're going to, and then you can fill in the blank. Because if not, they sense little incongruencies in you, and it really hurts your ability to influence. So if you're going to a situation where you need to persuade without position or influence without authority, that expectation that they're going to do it, that they're going to like it, that they're going to want to listen to it, that they're going to want to give you 10 minutes of their time is very, very important. So let's give you some homework. First of all, what expectations are you creating? When you meet with somebody, what is the expectation you have? What is the expectation you're creating? And this week, what I want you to do is practice using your presuppositions. Remember, you're talking and acting like it's a done deal, that you're doing business together, that they've enrolled, that they've signed up, that you're going to help sell their home, or they're going to accept your proposal. So as you talk, build the vision. Can they see it, taste it, touch it, and feel it? Paint the picture that it's already happening, and they're going to be successful. They're going to like the proposal. They're going to be successful in the business, whatever it is. And paint that picture that you're already doing business together or they're already doing the things that you want them to do. It seems like such a minor thing, but as I monitor people that go into persuasive situations, as I listen to people doing negotiating, as I listen to people do trying to influence without authority, for example, a lot of times just their word choice and their mannerisms and what they say, they just shot themselves in the foot before it's even happened, and that's why expectations are so powerful. So, that's your homework. Look at the expectations you're creating and practice using your presuppositions this week. And in every situation, not just persuasive situations, well, I guess all situations are persuasive, but uh, the presuppositions of where they want to eat or what they want to do or accepting the proposal, it'll really help you out and you'll really make a difference in your ability to persuade and influence. Well, that's great stuff on expectation management, Kurt. I, I think that that's probably... Like when we were talking about the article earlier, talking about process over substance in a negotiation, this is a little bit of a spinoff kind of on that, that as long as we can educate our clients on here's what to expect, here's what's going to happen. Wow, we sure save ourselves a lot of problems, don't we? We do. It's managing those expectations, exceeding those expectations, 
Otherwise, it backfires on you, and influence becomes a challenge. Certainly does. Certainly does. So thanks a lot, everybody, for tuning in to episode 144, Maximize Your Influence. Just another reminder, again, follow us on Twitter at InfluenceMax. We are blowing up on Twitter right now. Just going crazy over there. Uh, no, maybe we are. <laughs> <laughs> I get all the email notices of, hey, you have a new follower on Twitter. Oh, so, good. We like it. Yeah, I guess some people are doing that. We tweet them. We tweet them. That's whatever that means. <laughs> Retweet them, I said. <laughs> okay, got it. <laughs> I thought you said we tweet them, and I thought I'd. Yeah, well, that's. <laughs> All right, whatever. So, like us on Facebook, maximize your influence on Facebook. If you have questions, comments, a scenario you want to run past us, you can send it to us at maximizeyourinfluence at gmail.com. Appreciate you listening. We'll catch you next week on another episode of Maximize Your Influence. Take care. Persuade with power. Mm-hmm.